The following discussions are a further look into Director Thomas W. Arlington and the tumultuous events of the final year of the Grant administration. This won't be an easy road to walk down, but I have faith that we will be stronger for following it to its conclusion. Through the Wind Door Chapter 16 takes us to Sean Riley. I really like Riley's speech, and I know you do too. I like Bob's way of speaking. I like the speech itself. I feel like the speech was tailor-made for Bob to say, because I do know that there has been stuff that Alex has written in the past that has been written with a specific voice actor in mind, so I'm glad that Alex could get Bob Shipman on board to voice this character. The passion, the excitement, the argument itself. I'm not <clears> sure that there's a lot more that I can say about it, except that I agree on every level. Mm-hmm. And that I am always glad to have many opportunities to keep learning, just mm-hmm. as Sean talks about. Mm-hmm. And I wish that everybody in the modern era felt the same. One of the things that we haven't talked about as a part of the proper of Through the Window is that we are now members of the Fireside Alliance, mm-hmm. which was meant to be a not just a community, but like a larger group of communities. A collective. A collective, yes. That's the word that, that gets used a lot. Bringing more voices to the story and bringing voices together that can talk larger about the things that matter to us and everything like that. I've had an enormous amount of joy that has gone into taking in some of these new content providers. I enormously love the ongoing segment with Montressor Media, with uh, Seth and Aaron, uh, Loki Sucks Dick, which is a great <laughs> title. Ah. Uh, and I, I, I still haven't finished because they, they, they go on just like we go on. They have a lot to say about Loki in particular. And when, when you finally get around to watching that show, I encourage you perhaps to take in episodes of Loki Sucks Dick with every episode that you watch just concurrently. Just like watch episode one and then watch episode one of Loki Sucks Dick just so you can have that byplay going on there. Honestly, with the number of times that I said Loki sucks dick in short order, and the fact that it came up in an episode of Arlington, this is where I get to subject you to one of my favorite clips from the West Wing, Put a Penny in the Jar, where C.J. Craig gets hung up on saying the name of a potential ambassador from the U.K., it's not going to be Sir Christopher Kneeling Roach. I heard. I said it's not going to be Sir Christopher Kneeling Roach. And I said I heard. That's what I like to say, Sir Christopher Kneeling Roach. Who's it going to be? I'm waiting to hear from someone at the State Department. Me too. Maybe it'll be Sir Christopher Kneeling Roach. Can I stop talking to you now? And now, back to our discussion on a podcast about Loki, and whether that darling man does in fact suck dick. <laughs> I, I I will happily put Loki sucks dick in my search bar. I'm telling you that there will be a variety of things that I get from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not but... saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just telling you what this, the sequence of events is likely to be. Yeah, yeah, and and that's just one contributor. I've been trying to get back into listening to some more shooting the shit and mm. um, the blockbuster podcast that Chris Chipman does, Bob's brother. I've mm. been listening to a little bit of the Leftover Army Monsters podcast. This podcast focuses on something I know very little about, the various iterations of film kaiju as well as other similar monsters. I first got to hear their specialty because Alex and Sharon guested during a discussion of the Tremors franchise, and let me tell you, that was a fascinating new experience. I've been listening to some episodes of Cinemaspection, which mm-hmm. I, I want to catch up on more on. 
Uh, they specifically did one on uh, Point Break recently, which I wanted to listen to because Alex and Sharon haven't even done a show on that yet. Also, some of the recent stuff done with guest hosts on School of Movies. The two folks over at Two Shrinks Pod have been doing some amazing work recently. They've even had Sharon on for one of their episodes. Psychology is one of my favorite things to learn more about. Mm. Uh, Maureen and I share some fascination with that, especially due to our own experience with being in therapy a a great deal through our personal circumstances as well. So I encourage... Anyone, if, if there is anyone out there that listens to us that hasn't taken a gander at the multiple different pieces of media that Fireside Alliance has brought together in this mega community, then please do so. I think you'll get as much out of it as I have. And mm. I know that Toby himself is ha, is intrigued, but between his academic work and all of the stuff preparing for the wedding, that that's sort of been put on a side I, Sport, it will so. never be a bad thing that there is an excess of very cool people doing very cool things. So I will make it that like an additional good thing is that I am more familiar with more of it. So, yeah. That was a little bit of a divergence from our planned discussion. But honestly, it's a little bit overdue at this point. We've been official members of the Fireside Alliance for a while now and haven't really spoken much about them, except for me putting a link to the website in the show notes. So, this is just me saying, hey, this is a really cool thing. Check out people besides us. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. And now, back to the show. Sean Riley. Sean Riley. You said that I was uh, really looking forward to this, and yes, you're right. (laughs) I do really like this moment. When going through the book the first time, and in the time since, this is a scene that sticks with me. Mm. And while a lot of that is down to, holy shit, it's Bob Chipman playing a character that feels perfectly suited to him, almost as if Sean Riley was written with Bob in mind, as you were talking about. Mm. It's also down to the contents of the speech itself, which has the sharp insight that grabs you with both hands and engages you, which I associate with Bob and the big picture over the years that he has spoken through that platform and refined and improved his craft in all that time. But even that is relatively surface level. And what I want to talk about is why I find the material of his speech so damned inspiring now, as I paid closer attention to its contents and really processed what it meant to me. As has come up a few times on the air, including in this recording session alone, I'm an academic, and one who's relatively early in my career. But even at this stage, I can tell you with certainty that one of the most defining experiences of the profession is people asking you, so what? Whether it's casual observers looking in at your work from the outside or through more official examination, occasionally from a potential source of funding. Now, depending on the person or the day of the week you catch them on, this is either a challenge to be relished or the most disarming question you could be confronted with that you dread. It's essentially a chance to get into the heart of your subject and area of focus and sell anyone who will listen on the significance of what you're researching. In my experience, if you stay within academia in order to pursue research, you're naturally drawn towards an area of research because it's what interests and drives you. But that can happen so naturally that you don't necessarily question why, or maybe you're so deep in that you forget on some days. When you're in the middle of the woods and have been concerning yourself with the trees for months and suddenly someone appears beside you and asks, what path did you come into these woods on and which one are you taking to leave, that can throw you. Sean answers the question of so what with such conviction and specificity without ever getting lost in the weeds that I can't help but admire him deeply and wish to emulate that. He deftly navigates the core subjects and concisely highlights why they are essential for people moving forward, both on an individual and broader 
spectrum and all the while remains grounded and personable throughout. You can't help but smile when he talks about missing going to see a goddamn game of baseball once in a while, though nevertheless emphasizing that this too is essential to people's day-to-day living. And it's all done in that terrific accent that Bob will occasionally like let out. So I don't think it's something that is necessarily conscious or not. I think it's just something that occasionally comes out to play and it's always terrific when you hear it. You're talking about in terms of the big picture where mm, he has a kind of manner in which mm, like, this is my voice when I'm being a showman, so to speak, a mm, presenter. But that when he a reading aloud voice is often how I hear it called. Yeah. Yeah. What you're talking about is that Bob doing his YouTube work, Mm. he will occasionally get onto a tangent where he is definitely more excitable or there is some emotional shooting from the hip. Yeah. Mm. Which is, which is fueling him. And there, what we associate as the Southie accent, the kind of thing (laughs) you would have heard if you're, um, ever watched goodwill hunting or Mm. something else with native bostonians and everything like that that Mm. comes out and his energy has more of a it it flows with that accent that comes out of him here sean lives in that accent Mm. and so therefore Mm. here the thing that might be more natural to bob is actually part and parcel of sean's character so there's a meta text that's going on there in terms yeah. of not simple like we associate it perhaps with Bob being real. And here mm. the weird thing is is that this is a role that he's putting on. So by nature it is fiction. It is not real. Mm. So mm. yeah. It it sort of feels like there's a awareness that uh, if you're hearing this voice, you'll recognize it and you'll sort of have this simultaneous transportation between still being in the scene, but like kind of suddenly you're listening to a big picture episode. But at the same time, I think what works about this is that this still does feel like a suitable performance for a character. Like you get like things about Riley's past and like how he ended up here, why he Mm. does what he does and everything about it that doesn't feel like you're just sort of seeing a character that is just the celebrity playing them or something like that. I like that point he makes of he punched someone and he wishes he could say that uh, I would do it again or like it was the right thing and it was like a noble thing but to be honest if he could go back and not some sense into himself he would like there's a earnestness to the character there which just feels like this is plain speaking in the positive sense he's self-effacing exactly he's the, willing there's to a... admit that there was a point in his life when he was wrong mm. i was wrong about this i'm not wrong about what i'm saying right now And that's why he's different to McPherson, who has that sort of uncompromising certainty in things where this guy is someone who isn't just open to the idea of learning and improving it. It's his goddamn way of life. In short, this like both Bob and this character have the kind of voice that makes you excited and eager to learn and get your nose back into a book. And that's the kind of energy that I and a lot of other academics like fuck it what like people live off of i mean ideally so this is what we should all strive for yeah i think that i can understand the flip side of that that in a Mm. lot of cases people look for easy answers and easy lives because Mm. so much of the rest of the world drags us down to where we don't necessarily have the energy to engage but I, I think the engagement is necessary. And that's yes. the heart of what Sean is talking about here, is mm-hmm. that trying to send people back out into the world that want to keep improving, that want to keep learning, mm-hmm. that have that as an essential nature of themselves, mm-hmm. because that will make them better people, better citizens, better mm-hmm. leaders overall. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to get behind the overall message here, because once again, it applies to our modern lives. 
And so mm. therefore, when people don't live up to that ideal, to the mm. ideal of we need to keep learning, we need to keep doing better. If it's all about going for the easy fix, then it's going to be hard, if not impossible, to address the fact that there are things that need to be changed. That need to be fixed. Mm. Yeah. I could go on to a bit of a cynical rant about how it feels like our capitalist society is built specifically around making us tired, not having the time and the will to learn more, to do better, instead focusing on draining us of our productivity and then sating us with bread and circuses like the old Roman Empire. But instead, I will try to instill hope and bring it back once more to the West Wing, put a penny in the jar. In Season 1, one of the members of the main cast has a meeting with a man named Jeff Breckenridge, who has been nominated as the Assistant Attorney General. This character is played wonderfully by Carl Lumley, a name you might be familiar with as the voice of John Jones in the Justice League cartoon, or more recently played Isaiah Bradley in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Jeff's appointment has been stymied by political maneuvering, because he quite understandably supports federal slave reparations. The argument between him and Josh Lyman culminates in this final moment, which I would share with you if I could, but unfortunately, no one saved this particular speech on YouTube. So instead, I'm going to have to try and perform it myself. After directing Josh to look at the back of a dollar bill, he says the following. The seal, the pyramid, it's unfinished. With the eye of God looking over it and the words annuit coeptus, he, God, favors our undertaking. The seal is meant to be unfinished because this country is meant to be unfinished. We're meant to keep doing better. We're meant to keep discussing and debating. And we're meant to read books by great historical scholars and then talk about them, which is why I lent my name to a dust cover. I want to be your assistant attorney general for civil rights. I'll do a fantastic job for all people. You have a problem with me saying that to the committee? Unconsciously inspired by this speech I had seen dozens of times before, I wrote words echoing this very idea in the New Century Forum a few weeks ago. I was commenting on having thoughts about a recent New Century comparison, but went on to say that focusing only on concrete answers was a misguided journey. My favorite literary quote in the history of ever is, There are no happy endings, because nothing ends. And in this case, the quote could be applied to the search for answers. One should never stop thinking about the big problems of the world, even if you take a break from talking about them. And likewise, one should never stop questioning the answers we have, provided it's done in good faith. The moment that we are sure that we know all we need to know is the moment mistakes get made, arrogance sets in, and problems that could have been avoided block us from making the progress we need to not only thrive, but to survive. And that, that is also what leads us into my final note here with chapter 16 about the fact that it's punctuated by this dark and sober moment, mm. the interaction between Thomas and Eli Roach. What a name. What a, ne like, what a perfect yeah. name for the character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We find out that Thomas can be blackmailed. And we do not find out why during the course of this chapter. On top of that, the very good and decent Lawton Sadler is now dead. Something that I had forgotten happened in the pages of this book. Mm. It's, it's strange, the attachment that one can have to even minor characters in a story. It's not the first death of a named character and will not be the last. Mm. But this one hurts because he survived one book only to come to his fall in this one. And it reminds us that this world is a deadly one. Mm. And 
not everyone will make it through. Yeah, and something that occurs, and I and I don't necessarily wish to sort of linger here because it is a sort of upsetting aspect mm-hmm. to like the development in this scene. But I think the thing that's especially upsetting is the fact that the confirmation of this is that his head can be found mm-hmm. on the steps, and like that's such a barbaric treatment of this character and ties into something that I am now like has coming to mind about what Alex has said about his own sensibilities that he finds the word escapes me but the mistreatment of bodies the Mm. dismemberment the just desecration desecration of bodies to be especially upsetting to him because there's something about just like I mean again I shan't sort of uh, dwell here but I think that that is a sort of something to consider to the scene is that it's not just that this person has been taken off the board it's that you disrespected them as well and you are using it as like a token of intimidation slash power assertion, it sickens us. And it's a haunting conclusion, this scene. I forget if this was a detail that was in a previous edition of the book or the audio drama that has been altered in this one, or if it comes up in our following chapter, which having listened ahead, I'm not sure if that's true, or something that I think is probably the most likely answer is that I'm misremembering this scene. But before revisiting it, I could have sworn that Thomas erupted after Roach had left, letting his anger spill over the edge a bit. Whatever the explanation for that memory or false memory is, I like the way that it's played here better because what we see in the just final moments of this chapter, it's a quiet sadness mixed with immense but somewhat impotent rage. It's a regret of this unthinkable cost of a man whose strength of character was admired enough to include it in a nationally published book. It's a diligent assessment of what's to be done next, mixed with the acknowledgement of the grief that this loss will cause. It's understated, but it echoes out. Because I have been re-watching The West Wing put a penny in the jar over the last couple of weeks, I am reminded of a moment where President Bartlett does in fact have his own temper boil over in response to a tragedy. Specifically in Season 2, when American troops sent in to rescue DEA agents from Colombian drug lords are lured to an ambush and shot down by a rocket launcher. To be honest, even though Bartlett and Thomas are very different people for obvious reasons, they do both have a tendency to work hard to be controlled in most circumstances, and they both have a great deal of anger inside them. Josiah Bartlett is actually worse at controlling his own anger than Thomas is, Once more, because he likely doesn't feel as restrained by cultural circumstances as a white man. But this is just my own association. Toby has yet to see the show, and there may be another reason why he is quote-unquote remembering this. Only Alex knows for sure. Reflecting on it, I think the reason why you might might have misremembered is because this might have been a personal response back when you mm. first listened to it yourself it's the kind of response that you mm. might have found invoked in yourself yeah i think i we was don't... conflating what my own thing was with like what had happened in the scene yeah because thomas remains in control of himself throughout this mm. encounter even after roach is gone mm. and we don't see the spilling around the edges until later on in the story and even then it like comes out in little bits and pieces Mm. where we see that not to get too far into it because that's for future conversations Mm -hmm. but thomas himself has such a deep abiding control of himself that he's 
somehow managed to nurture, although thinking about it, he probably would have had to have nurtured it given mm. that he grew up in a place of slavery and so therefore was not free to yeah. be himself. That kind and, of control would be intrinsic to his mm, experience. And this person is heavily implied to be directly associated with that period of his life. Yeah. Is that, does that come does that come up? Like just as a little I, I think the implication cut, is not necessarily that we associate Roach with his life as a slave necessarily, mm. but that they definitely met at a point before Thomas was the well-spoken, learned leader that he is now. And that's embodied by the sort of mm. skin-crawling... I know you. I know you, boy. Because I know Sookie. And I remember you. Yeah. Yeah, with the assumption being what he is presenting to the world, Roach is asserting that that's not who he is mm. because he knows him. And Not like, even... Like, there is something else that I associate with that line that is mm. Roach's introduction. Roach's recognition is not necessarily one of I know what you really are, although it mm. could be read that way. Mm -hmm. The way I qualify the I know you boy moment mm. is not a quality of knowing Thomas as a person. It's a quality of I remember you. But in mm. that way of saying, oh, right, you exist. I had forgotten you prior mm. to this moment mm. because you don't actually matter to me. Mm. But now that you do, your face comes back into my memory and be like, oh, yeah, you're a person, aren't you? Except not really. Because you're a black man and therefore deserve to live a life in chains. Mm. <laughs> that's that. That's the feeling I have behind this interaction. That he is willing to deal with Thomas as one might with a white man, because that's mm. the situation that Roach finds himself in, and that he has to actually negotiate with Thomas as opposed to put him back in his place. Roach mm. can't do that right here, but he can do it by making Thomas vulnerable by what he knows. Well, he sets the terms. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, he does. And another reason why it's not necessary to have like Thomas like sort of erupt and lose control like that is because... The scene already features like the greatest sort of loss of control that we could imagine for Thomas at this point. By his so utter acquiescence. Exactly. Thomas has been defined by his steadfast adherence to like not compromising. He is a sort of moral absolute. We mm. can question and sort of critique it, but he has been a moral absolute. And now we see that compromised mm, and we see him compromised exactly and i think that's what feels so draining about that ending and to have him get angry like it's sort of and like in terms of like you know and shout and stuff would almost distract from the shattering poignancy of just where thomas is at this moment yeah but I also think that whatever self-possession Thomas has, it may simply be like, I am going to do what you ask, but I won't give you the satisfaction of making me lose control. Exactly. Yes. He, he will like hold on to who he is mm -hmm. and not the thing that Roach is forcing him to be for him mm -hmm. yeah 
So good place to stop? Yeah, good place <laughs> to stop. I I never necessarily thought about the significance of Roach's name, but the idea of this person being some something that has managed to hold on through adversity the way Roaches are being mm. said to do. You know, the, also, the one thing that will survive a nuclear apocalypse and everything. Yeah, like but also that it's something unpleasant that has crawled out from under like a mm -hmm. hidden crevice that you weren't aware of. And now it's suddenly come here and come back into the light. Yes. Yeah. yeah. At first you think oh, it's not intimidating because a roach is just like a small bug. But the problem is of that, like, as you say, that endurance and also the idea that like if you squash it that doesn't necessarily get rid of the problem mm. because the likelihood is that this like what they represent extends far more that there is an infestation arlington has a lot to say about infestations doesn't it it does now that you think <laughs> about it weirdly a, a weird uh like book to read in a uh post 2016 and then again in 2020 and then again in 2021 this is like the uh, nightmare version of that lego batman joke of like uh, we had hard years in 2016 and 2020 and 2021 and, and 2017 and then that then that weird year where <laughs> well this has come to the end of our notes for this time and i'm already champing at the bit to discuss what happens next as i know you are mm -hmm. but before we get to that, our next time recording together is actually going to be our interview with one Jesse Ferguson. And it's very appropriate for me to bring him up now, given we just had a, an entire conversation about our experiences with the Fireside Alliance, because he is one of the partners with said alliance in his podcast with his friend, Jonathan, recorded tomorrow. He is a significant component in the creation of the most recent New Century book, Back in Time Plus Space. And therefore, we are going to be talking with him about his evolving relationship with Alex, uh, as well as his own work. It's going to be a great little crossover moment here uh, in terms of recorded tomorrow, Through the Windar, and the New Century Multiverse. But in the meantime, We'll see you on another trip through the wind door. Take care. Once more, a shorter episode than expected, but some of that space will be filled by outtakes from all the conversation we had before the podcast proper, so I hope you all enjoyed that. To close us out, a piece of music that I'm sure many are familiar with. Not just because I have seen the music of this group show up multiple times in the music thread of a couple of discords that I follow, but also because the song was used rather prominently in the Watchmen trailer. I have a long relationship with this song, because back when I was running a Dresden Files tabletop RPG, I went so far as to craft a written tableau of what images from our gameplay would be used if this campaign was a TV show, and the song was a part of the opening sequence. It's an expression of anger and frustration that I myself have been carrying around ever since the Bush 2 era. And the lead singer has even said that that was part of the inspiration for the song. Until next time, this is Muse with Take a Bow.
So let me set the stage for you. When we first started recording on this day, Toby's camera just showed me an empty chair. And as I'm trying to figure out what was going on, music starts playing in the background. And I know that Toby's about to do a bit for me. Sadly, part of it got lost due to the recording starting late. But you can pretty much get the gist of it from this one part that I salvaged. We were meant to travel through the wind door, but I'm back. Back from the wind door. See, <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a you've got a lovely new haircut, but if you really wanted that that particular setup to get off, and what you actually needed was to be wearing a a wig of white, unkempt hair. <laughs> <laughs> So that you look like Doc Brown and everything like that. I've taken a couple of pictures now of like the bunny that's sitting out front eating our uh, oh, grass, yeah. mm. um, as well as the uh, the two enormous turkeys that came out of the woods and were standing on our front patio. Uh, Just standing point. there menacingly. Well, no, no, no like. The wild turkeys out here are pretty big, but these turkeys, as opposed to some of the ones I've seen back when I was living in, like, Somerville or Cambridge or something like that, these were skittish and moved off as soon as possible. There are turkeys that are just, like, out on the sidewalk near, like, a well-traveled street with cars going on it, and they just do not give a fuck. They will lord over their estate. Just, yeah, yeah. oh my god, those—that's—that's that's the moment where you see that hint of dinosaur, just like <laughs> behind the eye, just that feeling of like we, we, this we was will a- rule again. <laughs> yeah, our time will come. <laughs> gobble gobble. One of the things we got into is that my dad and stepmother are currently up at Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. And that got us onto this tangent. And I North assume North that he I assume he spends all his time in the cottage because that is, after all, the main cottage. <laughs> I told you I was gonna make an effort today. Yeah, that's okay, that's fair. That's <laughs> yes. fair. Yes, I mean they're they're currently undergoing renovations up there, which means mm. that the cottage is not necessarily as comfortable as it could be. Yeah. Lovely um, name, Ravenwood. It's great. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is not Ravenwood. Ravenwood <laughs> is out in the middle of nowhere. That's where mm. you have a friggin' horror story. Yeah. The main cottage, this isn't like one of those stories in like Stephen King where you're mm. isolated and bad things can happen. This is in. Like, and you're an author who is recovering from an alcohol addiction. Yes, right. We've. We've seen a Stephen King story. Yeah, exactly. The, the houses are much closer together here. And honestly, mm. part of the reason why they like being up there in Maine is that they have a lot of friends and family that have also gotten cottages up there, basically. Honest. So it's like, Booth Bay Harbor, I don't know if it's a huge tourist attraction or anything like that. I don't think so. Mm. But it's definitely a place where people go in order to get, like, get away from things. It's not mm. isolated, is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, mm. That said, I won't say that it's not the kind of place where a strange gentleman that bears resemblance to Max von Sydow wouldn't set up his own little shop called Needful Things. That's entirely possible in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. <laughs> but, yeah. I I adore the new sort of wealth of folklore that has kind of uh, accumulated over the last century or two with like American horror because it's this idea of a lot of other places will have like places with a lot of history or there'll just be this established thing of you go to Europe and you're in the middle of the woods, something's going to happen. Just like set the clock. And with us environments, you have this question of what are the environments that elicit horror? What can we do with that? Mm -hmm. And it's funny how for somewhere with, comparatively less time of uh, like horror being like just stories told around the campfire they had that like you didn't get that sort of lead in time now you've got all of the oh these suburbs they make me feel off and uncanny it's like why this is kind of like a modern setup it's like mm. yeah but we've we've told enough stories about the unsettling things that can happen here like i've seen enough movies 
of like just American suburbs that mm. if I see that, I'm just like, oh no, this doesn't feel right. I like, um, like I'm just expecting Mike Myers to just sort of be glancing around the tree and then mm. disappear, or someone is like running away from the it follows like just just little things that percolate and create a new body of the things that don't exist because they're all stories but they give it enough like thought and eyes on it and mm. it becomes a living entity and i feel like there is this unique quality to us ghost stories or like that sort of thing so yeah urban legends urban legends that's it yeah mm. there's this thing that i can't really take it seriously but in a lot of like japanese media or just anime the thing that you'll always hear is people going like did you hear the rumor that and it's sort of like what like who is saying these things <laughs> it's only just like surely there's like more stuff than i heard a thing that like this happens and I have no idea if that's like just culturally like much more of a thing that happens. Like it's it's not just that it's in like high school or stuff. Like it's no matter where you are, it's the sort of oh rumors are going around about this, and it's just like why why do we always say that it's like this? And I know that it's just the best way to translate something being like just a cultural phenomenon and stuff and it's just the go-to like oh it's a rumor and it's like but that just makes it sound like the water cooler of like yeah man that like sort of long-haired spirit that just like came and like attacks everyone yeah yeah like do you hear that happen to samantha yeah 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 like, uh you can see the game last night oh yeah i tell you i don't know i haven't been around the water cooler for years the water cooler is the modern equivalent of everything like that but keep in mind the idea of stories being passed around whatever mm. social gathering. Mm. That's where we get stories like the Manticore. <gasps> Aha, I made it relevant. Oh, <laughs> shit. He's back. He's back, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And all folks in all variations. He's back. <laughs> we come in swinging. Ah. Uh. This is this is gonna be a thing where like whenever the manticore shows up, I'm just going to have like the image of like you know Charlie Day with like the sort of cork Ford and me like sort of talking about like. <laughs> well, I was specifically thinking about actually. Um, you've seen a bunch of OSP at this point, and you know yes. how how Red likes to talk about individual myths, but also mythical monsters and everything like that. Yeah. In particular, the one I was thinking about was her recent um, show, not not that recent, but like I saw it recently of her show on uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. And <laughs> every now and then she would have these interjections of, and now more on deep thoughts with Heinlein. <laughs> oh my god that's so good that one <laughs> just, just is a perfect way to undercut all of it exactly uh, um, but go on go on more so, more, more magical thoughts during the so, course of this preamble by the way this mm. whole coffee cup has been drunk so uh <laughs> like, so you're completely <laughs> caffeinated at this point yes i am mm. yes and as an aside, this is um, a mug that we got as a gift from Sarah's mum, which has just got a picture of apple on it. Is yes. apple and being fed, is that a cucumber in the shape of a heart? Yes, that was a cucumber that I cut <laughs> into the shape of a heart. Yes, That's hilarious. I love it. Um, yeah. And yes, I shall email that so that can be in the show notes. Oh, okay. Excellent. Let me ask you this. Um, yes. You've got a major event coming up. Do you want me to take like a full body photo of myself so that you can print it out, and <laughs> put it on a cardboard cutout so that you can just have me there in the background approving when you and Sarah get married? I think that like, I, w I have been like, oh man, is there some way that I can like just sort of factor in like the various Discord people? Because like basically like, Pretty much everyone on the Discord would be on the guest list if they were local to it. But um, there will be photos, I'm sure, that I put up as well after the fact. 
there's a stream that's going to be happening at like the church that we've uh, got it. They included an option for just like oh, the okay. ceremony getting like things. So you may be able to like see the moment that uh, I transform and we fusion to become. <laughs> Uh, I will be uh, Toby Skeel's youngest uh, starting uh, 21st of August uh, next month. Yeah, have you been one of the gems this entire time? Are we going to see you and Sarah dancing and become a giant person? Absolutely. Okay, mm. great. Like, all I want to do is see me turn into a giant woman. Obviously, a lot of these outtakes have always been new century topics that spilled over into pre- or post-show, or us being geeky and jokey and all that sort of thing. This time around, Toby and I talked for close to an hour on a number of serious topics. A bunch of it I didn't feel comfortable including because it's too personal. Some of it I couldn't include because it spoils moments from BoJack Horseman. We talked about the stuff inside, both of us. I spoke with admiration of Toby for being wise and insightful at a young age, and then was transfixed by seeing unexpected passion and anger flow out of him. Hearing him swear for one of the few times ever made me feel like I was seeing a unicorn, provided it's the kind of unicorn that Alex writes about. But I did want to include some of this stuff at the end as we spun down from one conversation and geared up to discuss the topics we had planned. This has been a profound Saturday for me between <laughs> uh, many things. I, and that's not a bad thing at all. It's like what I live for. Uh, mm -hmm. But I love this idea that like, you, if you're looking for some singular answer, like the answer is 42. There we go. Life is... <laughs> all solved forever yeah look you're scratching on the wrong rock like you're you're never gonna get it but you can find little truths and like how like what does a little truth mean well that will like everything else redefine itself like as you like navigate the course of life because sometimes it can be like this won't necessarily be something that will be true in my life forever but it's true right now Mm -hmm. And I can apply it to not everything, but just this and understand that with a certainty. And if that changes a year from then, a month, a week, a minute after that, that's fine. Just finding those little truths are what like add fuel to your fire and help you mm -hmm. get on with like whatever shit you need to do that day. Even if like I arrive at a Googleplex of small truths over the course of my life like and you sort of get interrupted or anything like that that's fine i think that's exactly what it is for all of us and i'm happy with that mm. whoa yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, i just man <laughs> this is why i wanted to start early honestly because i it feels like our pre-warm-up always tends mm. to be heralded with the idea. I was like, okay, um, this is a fascinating conversation. You, Greg, but like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've got a recording to get onto, so we should probably put a pin in this. Here, we've given us, mm. this us time, mm. a good hour to breathe mm. and come up with some fascinating mm. conversations and tidbits and thoughts and words. Mm. And all of that is now saved in this lovely little file. That uh, we have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> you you so rarely get that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, while we're having a discussion on systems <laughs> and the problems within, let's talk about New Century. Yeah, <laughs> we oh, got man, there. We got back. We to got it. there in the end. We, <laughs> I, I love that you planted a seed for manticles, and that was like an hour ago. And <laughs> oh, this is fantastic! I've missed this so much. Okay. All right, new century. Okay, okay. Open up the window and. All right, Wendigos, shut, shut up, shut, shut up.